You're listening to the Power Place Audio Podcast. For more resources or to watch a service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org. So what a, what a first Friday we had. My goodness. God came down in this house and uh, it was powerful. Last Sunday, Dolphy and Gil shared their heart. God moved in here in a, in a powerful way. Thank you for, for being that kind of church. Amen. So we're in a relationship series, yours, mine, and ours. And in, in two weeks, on the 23rd of February, we're going to be answering your questions about relationships. We're going to do it impromptu. They're not going to give us the questions ahead of time. Pray for us. Um, because they... They said, we, we need to hear who you are, not the study you've done. So we're going to do that on the 23rd. So uh, there's a couple of tables here on, on your way out. Pick up a card, write down a, a question, put it in the, uh, the bucket there, and, and uh, we'll get to as many of those as we can. I don't know if you heard about the Energizer Bunny. He was arrested, charged with battery. Better than game boarding. <laughs> so a woman recounts, she said, on our way to the ski hill, uh, my friend's children decided to find me a man by the end of the day. The kids did their best to let it be known I was unmarried and, it, and to introduce me to anyone who was skiing alone and therefore in their minds single. Uh, to my great relief, they finally got bored with their mission and char- charged off on their own. I then made my way to the chairlift, and as I moved near the front of the line, a gentleman close to my age said, excuse me, but are you single? Groaning inwardly, I said, yes, but despite what you may have heard, I'm really not looking to get married. And he looked at me oddly, and he said, oh, I wanted someone to share the chairlift with. (laughs) Relationships, marriage. You know, we've all heard... Heard it said, well, the church is against, and then they fill in the blank. There's so many things that people believe the church is against. And I, I got to tell you, we here at the Power Place, we are for what God is for. Amen. We're for what is biblical. And I want to declare that we are for marriage. We're for marriage between one man and one woman for life. And all sexual intimacy is reserved for that relationship. Amen. Amen. God's creation of human beings as male and female is good. In fact, he said, very good. It's beautiful and it's life-giving. And marriage is God's idea And as the manufacturer of us, as the boss, I love how Gil put that last week. God told him, I'm the boss. You're trying to be the boss and tell me what to do. I'm the boss. You do what I say and we'll all get along. And as the boss, he knows exactly what he's doing. And we simply affirm his plan. And we want all of you to find his hand of blessing for your relationships. It's not out of reach. 
It's not impossible. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Passion Translation says, Honor the sanctity of marriage and keep your vows of purity to one another. For God will judge sexual immorality in any form, whether single or married. The NLT puts it this way, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Let me help you with these scriptures. Honor in the Greek, this this word honor that he uses here means most precious. So he's saying treat your marriage, your marriage relationship as most precious. The word immoral here in the Greek means fornicators. A simple definition of fornication is sexual relations between two people who are not married. I didn't come up with this. This is God's idea. This is the dictionary's definition. Adultery is sexual relations with someone who is married to someone else. So according to Hebrews chapter 13, God will judge sexual immorality in any form. Let me just say this. Let me make a a blanket statement that, that everyone can clearly understand. If you're having sex with someone you're not married to, you're living in sin. Period. I don't care if you're not married, if if you are married and you have sex with somebody else. If you're sleeping together and you're not married, you're living in sin. And, And we can fix that. We want the best for you. God's going to judge sexual immorality in any form. And we want you to come under the blessing of God's covenant, his marriage covenant. And God has this umbrella of protection for sexual relationships and it's called marriage. And someone says, well, what about consent? Okay. John Stone Street in speaking about our sexually mixed signal culture says, the problem is that culture-wide... We can't seem to decide what consent is. Planned Parenthood, which I might add has a vested interest in promoting promiscuity, says consent is actively agreeing to be sexual with someone. But what does it mean to be sexual? How does one actively agree? The Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network says consent doesn't always have to be verbal. Dartmouth College in its student policy handbook, says consent is clear, voluntary, and unambiguous agreement. And he says, you get the picture. At the root of all the confusion is the premise that sex is inherently unhooked from marriage. Our culture wants so-called sexual freedom while also demanding that everyone play by some set of rules we can't nail down and refuse to ground in anything substantial. How can we expect everyone to live by a same standard like consent while rebuffing the very notion of having standards in the first place? The fact is, only marriage is substantial enough to ground any sexual standards that can bring about health and wholeness. Now listen to this. Sex is like fire. Marriage is like a fireplace. 
When the fire stays in the fireplace, it brings light, heat, ambiance, maybe even preserves life. But when the fire jumps out of the fireplace onto the curtains, it instead brings death and destruction. Sex long ago jumped out of the safety of the marriage fireplace and now we're trying to contain it again. But a fuzzy notion like consent will be about as effective as a fireplace as a cardboard box is. We're trying to have it both ways and it's not working. It can't work. We can't pretend to be liberated from limits and then erupt in self-righteousness when someone crosses a line. There's also good news here. Our collective reactions are revealing that there is a law written on our hearts. And it's not some arbitrary standard. God didn't design sex to be between one man and one woman because he's mean. He did it to protect men, and especially women. Protects us because that's how he made us. Healthy marriages offer a wider life-giving context for consent. The upfront committed commitment to another's best, the joining of families, the constant mutual giving of self to another, and a union that God both recognizes and celebrates. That context has no substitute, not in cohabitation, not in bosses using power over subordinates, certainly not in hookups, even if consent is unambiguously given. Reducing sexual ethics to something as downstream as consent leaves it alone on an island without any mechanisms of virtue or safety to support it. Left alone with our own egos, brute strength, unrestrained passion only guarantees that pain, emptiness, and abuse will inevitably follow. Thank God for his brilliant design. Marriage. It's a big deal. God designed it. He sanctions it. He blesses it. So, next Sunday, February 16th, right here at the Power Place, is wedding day. been struggling saying, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if we should get married and, and yet you're living in sin. We're going to make it easy for you. Okay. We're going to celebrate with you next Sunday, February 16th at the end of our service for those living outside of God's marriage covenant of blessing. And you want to take the step to make things right. We're going to help you out. I'm going to save you thousands of dollars on the venue on the invitations, on the flowers, on all the stuff, on the, the you know, your, your catering and the, the minister's cost. We're not going to charge you a thing, but we're going to have a celebration here. And I believe there are several couples in this church, those watching online, who need to get this right. You need to step into the blessing of God. So if you want to come under God's covenant blessing of marriage... Get your marriage license this week. You can go to the county courthouse. That's where you get it, in case you haven't known that yet. Get your marriage license. I need an up-to-date license that we can make this official. We're going to celebrate with you. And then send me an email this week, greg, G-R-E-G, at thepowerplace.org, and let me know you're in by Wednesday. Everybody say Wednesday. Wednesday. 
Let me know by Wednesday if you're in. And uh, we're going to plan accordingly. Listen, I'm not scolding. I'm tossing out a lifeline. Okay? We want the best for you, and God wants the best for you. And it's time to step in and do what's right. For those of you who are already married, uh, I want you to take your marriage off of autopilot. Some of you said, well, I said I do. I, I told her I loved her, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> Nothing's changed, so. And you're kind of just living like that, and, and God has so much more for your marriage. He wants you to take it off of autopilot. Get back in the game. It's time to work on your marriage relationship. You are married to the right person. Work at the marriage you're in. Well, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know about this guy. Look, work at the marriage you're in. Quit searching for the right person. And become the right person. And things will shift in your life. Things will shift in your relationship. My dad used to always say, and I, and I didn't really appreciate it as a kid, but now I understand it. He would always say, remember, wherever you go, there you are. And, and, and the more I meet people and they're trying to find the right thing, the right, I got to find the right church. And then you show up. There you are. And the same issues are there that we're at the last place. I got to find the right person. And you show up in the relationship. <laughs> what? Something's wrong with this guy. Something's wrong with her. And you realize after a while you, you can come to the knowledge that, oh, maybe there's a common denominator here. And it's me. Because wherever I go, there I am. Amen. And my circumstances have changed, but other things haven't changed because I'm in the mix. Right. And maybe God wants you to work on you. This, this is my perspective. Christy's going to give her perspective next week before the, the uh, marriage ceremony. Amen. Uh, <laughs> you go, girl. And trust me, she has a perspective. She, she sits here every week and, and takes what I dish out, and uh, she's very gracious. But I'm, I'm just going to say, men, it's, it, it's time to lead. You better lead, men. And lead not by usurping your authority. I'm the man. That's just the way it's going to be. No, that's not the way it's going to be. Because nobody wants to come under that. Amen. Not by usurping your authority, but by modeling, by loving, by encouraging, and by a lifestyle worthy of following. We all know what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Genesis chapter 3. Serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He's questioning what, what was said. And yet he, he words it in such a way that she comes on the defensive. 
Of course we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree of the, in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, if you go back to the, what God said, he didn't say you can't touch it. He just said, don't eat. And when you start adding things to God's word, you get yourself in trouble. And, and verse four, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Basically, he's saying God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. And, and this is where some of you live in your sexual relations. You're thinking marriage is so confining and so restrictive. Guess what? I'm not worried about ever getting a sexual transmitted disease. <laughs> I, I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I wonder if I have... Because that woman right there, I've had sex with her for 38 years, going on 39. And we're the only ones we've, either one of us have been with, sexually. Okay? And, and we get to thinking, there's, there's, God's holding out on me. If I could just have that woman, if I could have that guy, if I could just, and you, you start going outside of God's parameters. And then the enemy wants you to think, oh yeah, God's holding out on you. He, you, you got so many options and God said, one, one for life. <laughs> oh, how boring. Oh. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. I mean, here you, here you got the, the, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It, it's all. And she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam, what are you doing, dude? You're with her. Step in. You know the consequences. God already told you this. Become a man and do something about what you're seeing. Whoa, Eve, do wait, what? Stop. I tell you, we got a lead, guys. He ate it too. That moment their eyes were open, they suddenly felt shame of their nakedness. They saw they sowed. Uh, fig, fig leaves together to cover themselves when the cool evening breezes were blowing the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden so they hid from the Lord God among the trees the Lord God called to the man where are you? because he knew exactly where they were he wanted them to ask themselves the question where are we? he replied I heard you walking in the garden so I hid I was afraid because I was naked and some of us have, have gone to the place where we're hiding from God. We're afraid. We're living in fear because we've done the wrong thing. I'm telling you, you can step out of that and you can step into God's covenant blessing. Amen. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asks. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat or touch? Oh, he didn't say that, did he? Commanded you not to eat. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. 
Lord asks the woman, what have you done? Serpent. <laughs> Adam, the woman, you gave me. Ultimately, God, it's your fault. <laughs> you gave her to me. And the woman, the serpent, you created. Remember? You, yeah. We're always pointing back to God, blaming him for what we get ourselves messed up in. And Adam doesn't step in. He doesn't stop her. He doesn't guide her. He doesn't caution her. He just allows her to go down the wrong path, which also leads him into disobedience. And then when God's pronouncing the curses in, in chapter 3, verse 17, the man, to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you all your life. You'll struggle to scratch a living from it. You say, well, are we not supposed to listen to our wives? You're supposed to listen to God first and guide your wife. Now, I get great counsel from my wife most of the time. There are times when, when I have to say, hey, I understand where you're at, but, but here's what God said. And then we discuss that. I mean, don't just, guys, don't just listen and follow. Lead. I know you've heard it. Happy wife, happy life. And so, so you just kind of, oh, what's going to make her happy? So I'm going to do that. How about happy God, happy life? Because when you're honoring God and, and he's first and you're doing the right things, then you find yourself in a place of happiness. Psalm 19, verse 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Somebody say perfect. perfect. Reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Now, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We've got to get our thinking aligned with God's thinking because his ways are perfect, they're trustworthy, they're right, and they're clear. There's no fog here. There's no, I wonder what God said. It, it's clear, it's right, it's trustworthy, it's perfect. And his instructions will revive you. Some of you are waiting to be revived. You're thinking, what's it going to take? Get in line, begin to think like God thinks. Begin to understand what God says. It's going to make you wise. It's going to bring you joy. It's going to give you insight for living. Steve Kelly says, we become what we think about. God tells us to think on whatever's true, right, pure, lovely, admirable. He knows that we are the product of our thought lives. So try actively speaking positive things about the future and the people in your life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession precedes belief. As I speak, therefore I believe. And by making the declaration that Jesus is Lord, we create the future belief in our heart for that reality. When we speak, we control our beliefs. So, Try speaking only positively about your spouse for a week. 
Try speaking only nice things to your spouse and watch how things change. Create a beautiful future in your relationships by thinking and speaking true, right, pure, lovely, admirable, positive things. It'll be a game changer in your relationship. And let me say this, surround yourself with the right people who do the same. Some of you, you, your heart, you want to do that, and yet you're listening to everybody else. And you're listening to the television that is always degrading relationships. First Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, Jeroboam, the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard taskmaster, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over. Then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What's your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if if you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who he'd grown up with and were now his advisors. And here we find ourselves getting in trouble when we just ignore wise counsel and do what those around us are talking about. What's your advice? He asked them, how should I answer these people who want to lighten the burden imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter load. And all of you have gotten counsel from one of your friends. Tell that complaining wife, he's such a complainer. What? You just need to tell him. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes. My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors. And he followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you. I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips. I'll beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, to the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. And when all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home. And this is, this is uh, what a lot of you are hearing in your house. I have no interest. Done. Done with this family. Done with you. Look out for your own house. I'm not, I'm not involved in this family anymore. And a lot of it is because we've walked in the counsel of unwise people. We've listened to our society. We've listened to those who are young. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's always some scornful people hanging out that want to hang out with you. But 
the psalmist says you're wise if you don't do that. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's where you want to live. That's where you want to plant yourself. I mean, do the hard work. Fight for your marriage. Get good counsel. Get godly counsel. Plant yourself deep in the things of God so you and your family are fruitful and prosperous. This is a good fight. There are a lot of fights that aren't good. This is a good fight. Fight for your marriage. Paul the Apostle said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge shall give me on that day, not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. Fight the good fight. In our culture, we've we become insensitive and hypersensitive all at the same time. It's kind of crazy. It's creeped in from our virtual online relationships into our real relationships. And somehow we've lost the idea of honor. Somebody say honor. Honor. Honor's a big deal. And you learn honor at home. If you don't learn it there, then you've got problems the rest of your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 10 in the ESV says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Well, you honor me like that, so I'm going to outdo you. I'm going to honor you more than that. Well, okay, well, I'm going to honor you more than that. I mean, what does it look like to honor in, in a marriage? What does it look like to honor each other? You've, you've heard my toothpaste story. I... I like to just throw it out there because it's fun. It's fun for me. Um, Christy's a, a middle toothpaste squeezer. I was gone for five days to Wichita, Kansas to be with my family to minister to my mom and dad. And when I came back, she had nothing to squeeze. And she even said it. You going to admit that? She said it to me. I said, baby, look, look at this tube of toothpaste. She said, yeah, I, I just kind of realized I need you. And I love that. I honor her. I get her a fresh thing of toothpaste every day that she can squeeze in the middle. It's one of those little things that I honor her with. Every once in a while, I'll honor her by Unpacking the dishwasher when I'm not asked. <laughs> Vacuuming the, the, the carpenter. Just little things. And, and she honors me in, in ways that, that boggle my mind sometimes. I mean, I, I, I have a, an underwear drawer that just keeps filling up. And it's clean. How's that happen? I don't know. There's an underwear fairy in our house. 
And she's blonde this week. Are you blonde or you, this is. She's blondish gray. She's kind of going, she's trying to go the, the whole, yeah, anyway. We don't have to talk about that, do we? I was doing so good and then. This, yeah. And let me just say, guys, uh, when she comes home from the, the beauty shop, you should notice something. Just say it. Just notice something. Okay? I know we're stupid, we're blind, I get that. But I notice something. And, and that's honoring. It, it honors. Um, it, Jesus is our example. John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he had come from God and would return to God. So, because he understood who he was, he understood who he'd come from, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into the basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. I mean, really, how you think about yourself how emotionally healthy you are will determine your ability to love and to honor. You've got to be secure in who you are in Christ. And if that's settled in your life, you're free to honor. You don't need to prove who you are, prove your worth. I'm the man. You can lay your life down for others. You can lay your life down for your wife. You can lay your wife down for your life down for your husband. You can lay your life down for your kids. Jesus knew who he was and so he was able to serve. He was able to lay his life down. And it's important how we view our spouse, our children. Our spouse, our children are valued children of God. God is jealous for his kids' well-being. He cares about them. And if you understood who your spouse, your kids, your girlfriend, your brother, who, who they are, it would change how you treat them. And husbands, listen, you, you want your prayers answered, Right? Peter talks about this in Peter, 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way you husbands must give honor. Somebody say must give honor. Must to who? Wives. To your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you. And that word weaker in the Greek is, is a term they use for fine china. Something very valuable. Something very fragile. He said, she may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And some of us, our prayers are being hindered because we're not treating our spouse the way we should. Well, why my prayers aren't being answered? Well, take an inventory of how you're treating your spouse. Are you honoring them? Finally, he says in verse 8, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other's brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Well, she did this to me, so I'm going to, yeah. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. The scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life, see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. 
The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Some of us, we're not getting our prayers answered, and God's turning his face away from us because of how we're treating those in our family. I'm just, just saying, this is what God says in his word. It's important how you treat your wife. It's important how you treat your husband. It's important how you treat your children. It's important because you want your prayers answered. And, and quit trying to change your spouse. Begin appreciating how God designed them. I mean, their uniqueness is what attracted you to them in the first place. And then you get all bent out of shape because they're unique. I mean, if you both are exactly the same, then one of you is not, not necessary in the relationship. If you wanted to marry you, why didn't you? Some people try to change their spouse all the way to the grave. And then after they're gone, they lament and only remember the good things and wish they were still here. I give it one more day. Just if I could have one more day of them ignoring me. Yeah. That's real. Remember the good things now. Treat them as, as the treasure God has blessed you with. I'm going to wrap up here quickly because we've got a next level class coming at around 1130. So uh, I'll do the best I can. Treat them as the treasure God has blessed you with. Amen. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If you treasure them, your heart will go there. Think about it for a minute. Do you want someone to come into your life, try to change you into the person they want you to be? Or do you want someone in your life who loves you, treasures you, and accepts you as you are? Wow. Mass Exodus. It's like 11, 15. Okay, sorry. I'm getting distracted. Um, Proverbs says, Proverbs 18, 22, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And receives favor from the Lord. So, slow down. Because hurry works against relationships. And begin to speak blessing. John Stone Street says, before the smartphone, Dr. James Dobson's, Dobson's used to say that busy schedules were the biggest challenge facing American families. We worked too many hours and our kids were on too many teams, which left us without enough time to just be together. Today, whatever family time we can find is too often interrupted. At restaurants or even relaxing on the couch with family and friends, our screens are almost impossible to resist. We're buzzed and notified, beckoned to leave the world we're in for another, to choose people far away who we may not even know over the ones right in front of us. We're physically together, but functionally alone. According to a recent survey, 70% of adults believe they're addicted to their phones. And 70% felt they'd, better, they'd be better parents if they didn't look at their phones so often. He says, of course, phones, like most technology, can be used for good things too. They can even help relationships. 
therein lies the challenge. Like money, smartphones are an easy scapegoat. We can blame them for our misdeeds, but they're an amoral technology. The problem is we're not intentional enough with our technologies to think through how we use them and determine whether we serve them or they serve us. After all, the biggest tempters in our technoculture are often those things that distract us. And we're, if we're to give an account of how much time we've spent sitting and staring at a phone, wasting time that God has given us, and we'll never get it back, we'd likely be somewhere between embarrassed and ashamed. And that's, it's not just distraction that the problem. Social media sites in, encourage comparison and bragging and bullying and Twitter enrages and pornography and snares and the 24-7 news cycle just wearies. And uh, it, it's not just the phone that's the problem. It's all the nasty windows the phone opens up to us. And today's teenage population is the first generation to walk into the world with the internet in their pockets. And we can look at all that and say, yeah, that's awful. But we can also make some decisions that will help our relationships go to a whole nother level, a healthy level. So fight for your marriage relationship. This is a good fight. Surround yourself with wise, godly counsel, with friends who are speaking life into your marriage. Honor your marriage. Treat it as most precious. If you're not married, stay pure. Get out of their bed. Or get married next week in this house. Come under God's umbrella of protection and blessing. Husbands, lead the way by your words, by your deed, by your example. Get your thinking right. Think the way God wants you to think. See who you really are in God's eyes. Plant yourself deep. Think God's thoughts and become the person you really want to be. Declare your beliefs and then become what you declare. Outdo one another in showing honor. Slow down. Speak blessing. Make Jesus the boss of your life. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Follow his instructions. Stand with me, please. Thanks for listening to the PowerPlace Audio Podcast. For more resources or to watch a service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org.